Well, good morning. If you have your Bible, and I pray that you do, turn with me to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3, and uh, so thankful that you've decided to be in the Lord's house today. And last week, if you were here watching online, we talked about the real threat that we faced. And we talked about from Proverbs chapter 14 and verse number 34 that righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And we looked at uh, the ramifications of that in our society, in our culture today. Today I want to continue by talking to you uh, on the topic of our response, our response to intolerance, our response to intolerance. And so if you have your Bible, look with me. I want to read a few verses beginning here in Daniel chapter 3 and verse number 1 and following. And the Bible says, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was threescore cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it upon the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the princes, the governors, and captains, the judges, the treasurers, and counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then an herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, notice that word commanded, he said, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. And whoso falleth not down and worship shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the instruction that you give us through your word, the counsel, the guidance. Lord, I pray now that your sweet Holy Spirit would move about us, that it would open up our minds and our eyes and our hearts, that we might be able to see, understand, and be able to apply what you have for us today. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody in this room, somebody that is watching online, that has never entered into the greatest relationship of all, a relationship with you through your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that today that you would make it abundantly clear their need. God, I pray that today they might turn from their sin and trust in the risen Savior of the world. God, I pray that you'll speak to every believer's heart today, that we might properly, biblically understand what our response should be in seasons of intolerance. And Lord, we'll be careful to give you the praise and the glory and the honor for it all. And we pray this in the precious name of our Lord and Savior and for His sake and all of God's people said, Amen and Amen. Well, it was years ago that the mayor of the city of Dallas, Texas, a man by the name of Jack Evans, he, he coined the phrase, in fact, many of the businesses in the Dallas, Texas area have a plaque in their offices even to this day 
2020, if you can believe it or not, that simply says this. It says you have what you tolerate. Look at the statement again. I believe Jack Evans was right. He said, you have what you tolerate. And when we think about it, this statement is true in every facet of life. Parents. Parents. Uh, I saw people pop their head up. So we got some parents in here. I said, parents. And everybody goes, oh, is he talking to me? Parents, when we tolerate, and I say we because I'm right there with you. I'm a parent. When we tolerate children who talk back to us, when we tolerate poor behavior, when we tolerate children who disrespect us, we reap what we sow. Just a little fun fact for you, parents. Teachers, and heads popped up because we got a lot of teachers. Teachers, when you tolerate poor performance and behavior in the classroom, your class, your team, if you please, and I'll get on coaches here in a second, Taryn, your class will truly be impacted. Coaches who tolerate sloppy practice and think that they're going to win. I got news for you. You will not win. You will have sloppy play when it comes to the field of play. See, what we tolerate is what we have. Jack Evans was right. And honestly, the tragedy that I see today in 2020 in our homes and in our churches and in this country, if you please, is that we are getting today what we have tolerated yesterday. Are you awake? Do you think that 2020 is much different than what we find in Daniel chapter 3 in Babylon? Oh, my friends, it's very, very similar. As we look at this story, oh, listen, today all we hear is the cry for tolerance. I pass bu uh, uh, bumper stickers all the time that say coexist, be tolerant, and on and on. And, and, it go and I've seen some bumper stickers, quite honestly, that make my stomach turn. And make my heart ache. And yet this is the season in which we are living in today. Am I right, Brother Jose? Brother Jose is going through the midst of one of the greatest turmoils and challenges of his life. Many of you don't know, and I'll not stay on this, but we need to pray for Brother Jose and his dear wife. Brother Jose was arrested about a month ago now, arrested for a hate crime because somebody put a camera in his face and was trying to corner him about his political beliefs or his political persuasions, he finally pushed the camera out of their face. And guess what? He was arrested and charged with assault and a hate crime. We better wake up. What we're, what we're reaping today is what we tolerated yesterday. Please pray for Brother Jose and his dear wife. Years ago, tolerance used to mean that people would actually recognize and respect what you believed in without condemning it. Today, here's what tolerance says. Tolerance today says that as long as you agree with me, I'll tolerate you. And yet today, oddly enough, the ones who cry out the most for tolerance are the least tolerant of all. Oh, be tolerant, be tolerant, be tolerant. Well, I believe this way. You're a hypocrite, you're a bigot, you're a racist, you're a sexist, you're a xenophobic, whatever and whatever, whatever. Sorry, that's not in my notes. It used to be, 
It used to be that when you and I shared the love and the truth of the gospel with someone who might not agree, here was their cry. They would say, well, prove it, because I just don't believe that, and do something other than using the Bible. Quit using, using circular reason. Prove that Jesus exists. Prove that God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. Today, when we share the love and the truth of the gospel, people scream at us and say, what, have, what right do you have to tell me this? You're hateful. You're a bigot. Leave me alone. This is what tolerance looks like today, if you please. Sadly, the truth that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that we know this from John 3.16, has been replaced from, with Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 1, which basically says, Judge not, that ye be not judged. Today we're living in an anti-Christian culture, if you have not figured that out yet. We're living in an anti-Christian culture that continues to tolerate everything except for the Word of God and Christianity. And soon and very soon, they're coming after you. Soon and very soon, they're coming after me. Soon and very soon, they are coming after this church. We better stand up while we still have the opportunity. My predecessor used to say all the time, you better stand for something or you'll fall for everything. And he was right then and he's right now. Oh, but pastor, how do we respond to intolerance? What should we do? Well, the minds of our children are being indoctrinated. Our college students, their minds are being indoctrinated with this idea that there are no moral absolutes anymore, i.e., the, re the reality is that there's no moral truth. That's what they're being taught. Cannot know truth because there are no moral abs absolutes. In fact, whatever is truth to me may not be truth to you, and your truth is not my truth. That's what they're being taught. In the midst of the most chaotic times in history, Churches and Christianity are now being told what, when, and how we can go about worshiping the Creator, Sustainer, and Savior of the world. We're being told that only a certain amount of us can gather together because of a virus. We're being told that we wear a mask now, we don't wear a mask then, we wear a mask here, we don't wear a mask then. You go here, but you can't go here. You can go to the liquor store, by the way. And you can go to all kind of houses of ill repute, but you better not go to the Lord's house. Oh, we better wake up. How do we respond to intolerance? Oh, it's something that's very, very needful for today for us to consider. And so what are we to do? How should we respond? Well, this morning, I believe that we would do well to revisit the lessons that we find right here. Can you imagine that God gives us some lessons on how to respond to intolerance in 2020 right here in His Word? Right here in Daniel chapter 3, I think we would do well to revisit these lessons because we see the response of three Hebrew boys, the victory of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that we read about here in Daniel chapter 3 should not only serve to comfort us and encourage us, but it should serve, my friends, to challenge us. This passage of Scripture should serve to challenge us as we face our season of increasing intolerance. Truly, it's a story of faith over fear. It's a story of conviction triumphing over compromise. It's a story, if you please, of courage triumphing over cowardice. And so let's dive in. If you're a note taker, and I pray that you are, so that you might remember what the Word of God has to say to this church today, that you might put this down. As believers, as believers, we should respond to intolerance, number one, with conviction. We better stand up and be people of conviction, people of the Word. One of the many realities of our faith 
is if you haven't been tested, you will be tested. Anybody going through a season of testing? If you haven't been tested, you will be tested, I can assure you. And at this point, if you remember as I was reading at this point in our text, over, look over at verses 1, 2, and 3. You can see that Nebuchadnezzar, he's made this image of gold. And by the way, this gymnasium, just for context, so that we get a picture of the size of this golden image, it's not, it's not some little golden calf. It's the size. Uh, this gym is about 100 feet long. And so you go to about right here, uh, about where uh, you guys are sitting right here, Shelly, uh, about right there, all the way down. This is how wide it is, and then go up another 90 feet. It's 90 by 90. It's a big wall, if you please, an image of gold. And he set out the decree. Now, someone said, well, I don't believe Nebuchadnezzar made it. No, I don't believe that he made it with his own hands. But he said, so let it be written, so let it be done. He gave the authority and the order for it. And so they put this image up, and he sets it up in the plain of Dura and has all the people, all nations and tongues and languages. He says, hey, listen, when you hear the music, when you hear Brother Brian playing on the piano, you better bow down and worship it. When you hear Taylor strumming the guitar, Mark playing the bass and Gordon the guitar, you better bow down and worship that image. This is the command. By the way, verse number four says it was commanded. It wasn't a, it wasn't a hey, if you feel like it, on Mondays, you better bow down. It was like whenever you hear the music, you better bow down and worship this golden image. Look in our text in verse number 6. The Bible says that anyone who doesn't do it will be cast in the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. If you drop down to verse number 8, verse 8 reveals that uh, when things like this happen, it's a reminder. In fact, I put it in my Bible out here to the side in the spine. I wrote down, somebody is always watching. Somebody's always watching. When the king put out the command, the Chaldeans are watching. And they go to Nebuchadnezzar, and you know the rest of the story. They start accusing the Jews. Well, who are the Jews? You got about 10,000 Jewish boys, little Hebrew boys that have come in to be trained by King Nebuchadnezzar. They think, hey, we'll put them through this regiment, and then maybe they'll be good, and they'll be good servants to us. Notice what verse number 12 says. Here's what they do. They go to the King Nebuchadnezzar in verse 12. They say, there are certain Jews, now notice this next phrase, whom thou hast set. They say, hey King, guess what? It's your fault. Remember back in Daniel chapter 2, by the way, in Daniel chapter 2 and verse number 49, King Nebuchadnezzar, after Daniel interprets the dream, he, by the way, the king has a short memory span. He's got a short memory span because in verse number 47, he says, there's no God. He's, the, he's, the, he's like, Daniel's God is a God of gods. He is a Lord of lords, L, lowercase l and lowercase g. He says, this is who Daniel's God is. And Daniel says, hey, um, I'd like to promote my, my Hebrew buddies here. And the king does it, promotes them over the province of Babylon. So notice what the Chaldeans say. They say, hey, there are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, they're very specific in their claims. They say, these men, O king, have not regarded thee. Notice that phrase. He says, in, essentially, that phrase means they have ignored you. They have ignored you. Your servants, the ones that you put in charge, have ignored what you have told them to do. And this is what they say. He said, they have not regarded thee, nor they serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. You see, the reality is that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they stood out. 
They stood out. Not because the Bible doesn't say they stood out because they were good looking or they weren't good looking. It didn't say they stood out because they were tall or short, heavy or skinny. It says that they stood out because they would not bend the knee. They were convicted. They were men of conviction, if you please. They would not bend for the sake of convenience. My friends, in 2020, it's easy to give in to convenience. It's very easy to give in to convenience. I, I can tell you this, and I know we have some folks that are at home and they're concerned about safety protocols, and I appreciate that. But I can tell you that on March the 15th, when we stopped meeting on campus for a while, and the first few weeks, Colby will remember in the sanctuary where I sat at a table, that was very hard looking into a camera and talking to a camera that had no facial expressions. It, by the way, even if you have a bad facial expression, at least it lets me know something, right? Even if you never smile, you never say amen, you're just like, at least I know where you're coming from, right? But I'm looking at a camera, but I'm going to be totally transparent with you. Come Sunday morning, when old girl would pull that blueberry coffee cake out of the oven, mm, and I'd sit on the couch with my coffee and my foo-foo creamer in my coffee, yeah, that's okay. I don't care what you say. Real men drink coffee black. No, you are hurting yourself, sir, if you drink coffee black. You are ridiculously hurting yourself. In fact, I might suggest you go see a doctor. But it was convenient. It was a little kooky watching myself. Amen in myself. I'm like, that's good. That's good preaching. I said, I said, babe, rewind it. Listen to that preacher again. He said something good. She's like, oh my gosh. It got real, it got real easy, didn't it? I thought, man, pastoring in 2020 seems to have taken a turn for the better. I'll just lay back and take thine ease. It's real easy to give in to convenience. I said at the beginning of service in my welcome, that 2020 is cutting away the casual from the committed. It's cutting away the casual from the committed. We better be men and women of conviction. You see, these young men, they did not give in to unbiblical dictates of their day. When, when they heard that they were to bow down, they said, no, we're not going to do it. You see, because we're governed by another inner principle. It's called God and His Word. And we will not bow down to some false god. I put in my notes, what governs you? What governs me? Do we choose conviction or do we choose the opinions of the world? You see, because in this text, all I hear about are three Hebrew boys that wouldn't bow down. The Chaldeans were very specific in their charge of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So that tells me that I got... Uh, 9,996, because I take Daniel out, other jokers who are bowing down to music out of the Hebrew boys that came to Babylon. Oh, do we choose conviction or do we choose the opinions of the world? Nebuchadnezzar, verse number 13, look at it, it says that he was full of rage and fury. <laughs> and he says in verse number 14, he, he, he's beside himself. He says these words, Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, 
Is it true what these, what the Chaldeans said? Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? In other words, he's questioning the level of their conviction. By the way, the world is doing that to you and me right now. They're testing us. They're testing to see if we're going to be convicted about the things that we say that we believe contained within the Word of God. Oh, I know it's hard. Pastor, I just don't want to ruffle any feathers. I didn't say anything about ruffling anybody's feathers. I said, we better be convicted. We better be men and women of conviction. I didn't say you have to go out and be a hate monger. I made that very clear last week. Oh, public opinion had swayed the rest of the crowd to fall down and to worship a false idol. But the personal, watch this, the personal opinions of these were not moved. They stood for God based upon the deep-seated conviction that He and He alone was supreme in authority and power. They believed that He was and is the creator of the universe. And they said, we cannot bow down to that golden image. In verse number 15, Nebuchadnezzar gives them another chance. I love the, the, the graciousness of Nebuchadnezzar. He gives them another chance. I believe he has a, a little bit of a flashback to Daniel, and he gives them another chance in verse number 15. He says, now, if you be ready. He says, all right, come on. <laughs> come on. We had a good time here. You guys made your point. You know, uh, listen, I get it. You, hey, congratulations. You guys made a statement, and everybody has seen that you are you know, young men who really believe in God. But now, if you be ready, watch what he says. If you be ready, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, the dulcimer, and all kinds of music, that you fall down and worship the image which I have made. He says, well, he says, it's going to be okay. He says, if you, if you do now, we've had playtime, guys, and now if... No moss, no fuss. He says, I, I'll not punish you. If you'll do what we've told you to do, it's going to be okay. But notice the very next word. But. He says, but if you worship not. By the way, the verse before this tells that is the, that, you know, in verse 13, he was full of fury and rage. So this is what he's still got roaming around. He says, but. If you worship not, you shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And oh my goodness, look what he says. And who is that God? What kind of God do you think you got is what he's saying. I'm paraphrasing. This is the GC version. He said, what kind of God do you think is going to be able to deliver you out of my hands? I'm the king. This is my domain. And when I tell you to bow down, you better daggone bow down, 2020. When I tell you to do what I tell you, you better daggone do it, or guess what? You're going into the fiery furnace, and who do you think your God is that's going to stop me from doing what I'm going to do? Now, that was a longer paraphrase than I had originally attended. I'm sorry I got a little carried away. I think back in Mark chapter 8. You see our Lord and Savior. He was all... Today, in 2020, all I hear is about this poll and that poll. I'm tired of polls. In Matthew chapter, in Mark chapter 8, in Matthew chapter 16, but it's Mark chapter 8, in verse number 27, you see our Lord and Savior, He took a public opinion poll too. When He looked at His disciples, and He said, Whom do men say that I am? 
You remember they gave him some answers in the very next verse. See, he took a public opinion poll. And after his disciples answered him, he said, now I'm going to take a personal opinion poll. You've told me what they say. I want to know what you say. And you know what? In verse number 29, he says, but whom say ye that I am? And I think that in 2020, he's taken a personal opinion poll. He's saying, guess what? Who do you say I am? I know that the culture is anti-Christian. I'm not asking them. I'm asking every blood-bought believer of Jesus Christ. I'm asking you, whom do you say that I am? Oh, we better be men and women of conviction. Oh, listen, in the season of delusion and unrest, I believe that he's asking us the same thing and what we believe and why we believe it is so critical to be sure you and I are at the crossroads. We're at the crossroads of conviction and convenience. And I put in my notes, what will our convictions say about Jesus Christ? Will they cause us to stand or will we bow beneath the weight of public opinion? Well, pastor, everybody else is doing it. Everybody else is decided, listen, we're just going to do our own thing right now. And I know that you want to start Awanas back up. And I know that you want to start Wednesday night Bible studies back up. And I know that you want the choir to sing. And I know that you want us to serve the Lord with gladness and come into his presence with thanksgiving. But, 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 but the crowd says that it's too unsafe to do it. I had a former member of Battlefield Baptist Church. I saw him on the highway, and we pulled up beside each other at a stoplight. <laughs> and I looked over at him, and he looked over at me, and he said, Hey, man, how's it going? I said, It's, it's going. And he says, I went to the church where I now go, and he said, There's fewer people in there than I could imagine. And this is what he said. I wonder what heaven they're afraid of. I was like, wow. I wonder what heaven they're afraid of. Oh, folks, we don't have time to play games. We are living. If you haven't catched it, you and I may just be blessed to be the ones who live in the last days. I know pastors have been saying that for years. Oh, pastors have been saying we're living in the last day for years and we're still here. I heard pastors say a day is a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day with God and all these things and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but you better pay attention to the sign of the times from Scripture that make it real clear that you and I, you know, as Paul said to the church at Rome, it's high time to wake out of our sleep because now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed. Oh, we better wake up. Oh, it's easy to go along with the crowd, but conviction is based on what God and His Word have to say. They were men of conviction. Secondly, I believe that we should respond to intolerance with character. We should respond with character. The word character, by the way, is defined as the attributes or features that make up or distinguish an individual. Let me ask you, what distinguishes you, sir, ma'am, young person? What distinguishes you? If you say that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you say that you're a Christ follower, then guess what? That should distinguish you. If I say that I'm a straight-A student, those academical, academic accolades distinguish you. 
if you say, and I hate to keep picking on Taryn, if you say that you have a 20-time state championship cheer squad, then your cheer squad is distinguished by excellence. And the same thing is true with our walk of faith. What distinguishes us, Battlefield? What distinguishes us from being different than anyone else? Oh, it's so important because the world has always, always been intolerant when it comes to Jesus Christ and His truth. You remember Jesus told His disciples in John chapter 16, He said, guys, I got some good news for you, right? He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life in John chapter 14. He gives them an example, love one another. Uh, in John chapter 13, John chapter 15, He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Without me, you can do nothing. And then he gets to John chapter 16. He says, good news. He says, soon and very soon, there's coming a day when the world will kill you and think they did a favor to the rest of the world. But you get down to the end of John chapter 16, he says, don't worry about it. Because I've already overcome the world. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to walk in fear. You don't have to be filled with anxiety because Jesus says, it's okay. I've already overcome the world. Oh, just be men and women of character. Oh, if we don't wake up, we will soon find ourselves on the plain of Dura, bowing down to some golden image, if you please. Oddly enough, and I know this is going to seem like taking a left turn in the message, but oddly enough, the world's intolerant tax are taking on new dynamics. Recently, it was the American Journal of Psychiatry. They've now determined, you ready for this? They've now determined that racism, sexism, homophobia do not fit into any current diagnostic category. It has been proposed, hang on to that word, proposed, it has been proposed that those who become engaged in such behavior display a form of psychopathology deserving of its own category. Now watch this, pay attention, they go on. Here's where the rubber meets the road. They say we now must explore the possibility. We're going we're gonna to have a dialogue about this. We're going to start to think about this. We must now explore the possibility of an intolerant personality disorder, its symptoms, and possible causes. Are you, are you guys awake this morning? Let me explain it to you. Not that I'm the sharpest or the smartest tool in the shed, but let me explain it to you. The point is that there's a day that's coming, and I'll just give you a for instance. There's a day that's coming if you and I stand for the biblical definition, I'm just going to use one, if you and I stand for the biblical definition of marriage, watch this, not only will you and I be labeled and viewed as a sexist, we're now going to be viewed as a racist. And guess what? Since there is no category, if you go back to their statements, they're saying that it's proposed, they're, they're proposing these behaviors are bad because there's no current category, and they said, we're going to explore the possibility. Here's what they're going to do. They're going to explore the possibility of saying that you have, what is it? IPD, intolerant personality disorder, a mental illness. <sighs> How do we respond to intolerance? You stand for traditional values in marriage. You, Mike, you now have IPD. You have a mental disorder. Guess what happens if you are diagnosed with a mental disorder? You can't own a gun. Oh, by the way, you got a government job? You can't hold that job because you have a mental disorder. Oh, you're a dad? 
well, guess what? We can't trust you to be a dad because you have a, a problem and it needs to be diagnosed. And so guess what? Now we have to take your kids. We have to take your job. We have to take your rights. You guys say, oh, you're overreacting. Am I? Oh, we better wake up. We better, we better stand up, Battlefield. We better be men and women of conviction. We better be men and women of character. Oh, listen, today the philosophy and intolerance of the world tells us that we are the ones who are intolerant unless we bow down in the so-called plain of Dura to the whims and the ways of the world. But last week I told you that the wisdom of the world is foolishness with God. Someone else has said this. They said the decisions we make will be governed by one or two things, either inner principle or outer pressure. Think about the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That either be determined by inner principle or outer pressure. That is either by the word of God or by the world system of thinking. But what I see in our text is that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not give in to peer pressure, the idea of what others were doing, and they did not give in to fear pressure, what they were told they had to do. They said, no, I'm not going to be able to do it. Their yay was their yay, and their nay, nay was their nay. They said, we're not going to bow down. They were young men of character who lived according to their convictions. Just like Moses had told the children of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse number 2, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego understood that God was sending them through a time of testing, that God was testing their faith. And notice again in verse number 14, Nebuchadnezzar asked them, he says, oh, is it true? He says, please, you guys, you guys. Please tell me this isn't true. He says, but I'm going to ask you one last time. Is it true that you guys are not going to worship this golden image? The verse literally brings us face to face with the question of civil disobedience. Lest you didn't think I caught that. It brings us face to face with civil disobedience. Now I understand, listen, what Romans 13.1 tells us by saying that it says, let every soul be subject unto higher powers. And I'm well aware of what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 13 and 14 when Peter says that we are to submit ourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors. That's the beginning of verse number 14. But my friends, when civil law is in direct opposition to God's law or His word, we have an obligation to stand with God. We have an obligation to stand with God, and it may not be easy. Just like those Hebrew midwives. You remember in Exodus chapter 1, when they were told to kill the babies, and they didn't do it. And they said, well, how did you do this? Well, because it was against God's word. It was against God's law. They stood in the face of it. Just like we're reading about with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Just like in Acts chapter 4, and you can read in Acts 3, 4, and 5, when the apostles, Peter and the other apostles, they answered and they finally said, if you go and you read in Acts chapter 5 and verse number 29, they said, we ought to obey God rather than them. Oh, we better wake up. In each instance, there was a direct conflict between civil or man's laws and God's law. Now, before anyone thinks that I've gone off the rails, and you might have already thought that this morning, I want you to understand that observing civil laws is a positive public testimony. Huh. Let me just say this as lovingly as I can. If I can get it out. 
<gasps> What's he going to say? What is he going to say? And I don't like what he's going to say. Well, let me just say it as lovingly as I can say. This does not keep me from worshiping God. But I don't need it to worship God either. It goes both ways. Some are saying, you got to wear it, you got to wear it. Like I said last week, somebody said, are people really angry about that? Chuck and I were talking about that, really angry? Yes, they are. And I get to hear it all the time. Both sides. I get to referee. It's a lot of fun. It's the best. Wearing this or not wearing it does not keep me from worshiping God. I worship him in spirit and truth. Oh, listen, we better wake up and stop concerning ourselves with frivolous things. The kingdom of God is moving on. We're marching on. You might as well, as my predecessor said, enjoy the trip because this train's moving on. Oh, listen, we better be men and women of, of conviction and character. Oh, by the way, I didn't even think about this, but I got it in my notes. Do you know that Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they didn't say anything about their names being changed to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Why do you think that is? Because changing their names was not a problem. It did not violate God's word or God's law. But they did not tolerate being told to bow down to a golden image. Let's make sure we're, let's make sure our attitudes, our words, our actions are based on the Word of God and not personal preference. Because if we don't, then we're no better than the crowd who think it's okay to bow down when God says, no, you shall have no other gods before me. Oh, listen, we better be men and women of conviction and character. Verse number 16, look at it. The Bible reveals to us that these three young men were absolutely men of character. Notice what they say. They say, oh, Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> they said, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter, which, by the way, leads us to our very next response, which is to be men and women of courage. We have to be men and women of conviction and character, but courage, because if you go on, you're going to find that just like they were, you and I are being tested in this season that we're living in, and we need to respond with courage. Notice verse 17 and 18. And guys in the back, I'm going to hold on verse 17 once we finish because I want to point out something. Notice verse 17 says, If it's so, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. Now, by the way, look at verse 17. It says, If it be so, our God. In other words, they literally tell Nebuchadnezzar, you are not our God. Your image is not our God. They say, if our God, it says, if it be so, our God whom we serve. By the way, do you serve God? Because Nebuchadnezzar uh, was just faced with the testimony of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they said, hey, listen, our God whom we serve. Got news for you, he's able He's more than able to deliver us. But notice verse 18. It says, but if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Listen, learning to live with courage isn't something that we simply say. It's something that we must do. Verse number 18 indicates that their faith in God was not based on his performance, but based on his greatness. Because they say, listen, but if not, they're like, we don't care. 
We believe that he's able, but if he doesn't, it doesn't matter because our faith is not based on what he will do, it's based on who he is. We don't have to get in the fire to tell you that our God is able to do it. But if that's what you choose, O king, if you choose to put us in the fire, if you choose to condemn us for standing, then it's okay. We're going to be men of courage. And we'll go into that fiery furnace. Today, as we seek to respond to the intolerance that surrounds and swirls around us, the issue isn't God's ability. My friends, he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think, as Ephesians 3.20 tells us. But that's not the issue. The issue is what our conviction and character say about us and the God we serve. Think about Job. He had it all. He had it all, and God... God allowed Satan to tempt, and then then devil, you know the story, comes back to him, and uh, he says, well, you didn't allow me to touch him. God says, touch him, but you can't kill him. You remember what Job says? He says in Job 13, 15, he says, though he slay me, yet will I, sir, trust him. Esther, in her closing proclamation in Esther 4, 16, she said, if I perish, she's telling them that she's going to go to the king, which was forbidden. She says, but if I perish, I perish. I think about David, even as he runs to face Goliath. He's running across the battlefield. He's already told his brothers, is there not a cause? This crazy giant has defied our God for 40 days straight, morning and night, morning and night, and you guys are sitting over here eating crumpets and tea. Is there not a cause? And as he runs to face Goliath, you remember 1 Samuel 17, 47, Battlefield Baptist Church, he said, the battle is the Lord's. In each instance, Job, Esther, David, and others, they weren't looking or or seeking God's hand. They were seeking to worship His face, the greatness of God. They were acting in courage. Oh, we better respond in tolerance with courage. And then I close the message. We better also be men and women of consecration. In verse 21, look at the Bible. Nebuchadnezzar, he doesn't get the answer that he wants. And in verse 21, the Bible says, Then these men were bound in their coats, their hosen and their hats, and their other garments, and were cast in the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. They couldn't get out if they tried. And by the way, I would submit to you that they didn't want to get out. They're, burnt, they're bound and they're thrown into the fiery furnace. They were willingly yielding themselves to God for His glory. And as they entered that furnace, I can only imagine that in their mind's eye, they were reflecting back. Yes, praise the Lord. They were reflecting back out of the mouths of babes. They were reflecting back on the promise of God to Isaiah. You remember in Isaiah chapter 43, in verse number 2, God said, When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. Oh, I imagine Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego whittlingly said, Bound me up, throw me into the fire. I'll never bow down to your golden image, Nebuchadnezzar. If this is your desire, then you go ahead and you do what you must do. It's a crazy season of life then, and it's a totally chaotic season of life today. But none of us are immune to the trials of faith. And Jesus reminds us in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 45 that our Heavenly Father sends the rain on the just and the unjust. Paul was stoned and left for dead in Lystra. In 2 Corinthians 12, we find out that he had a thorn in his flesh that continued to plague him throughout his life. Peter Peter was tracked down and Peter was crucified upside down for the cause of Christ. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 37 speaks of those who were sawn asunder for their faith. 
Oh, my friends, we must be men and women of consecration because sometimes deliverance, watch this, from the fiery furnace isn't as significant as deliverance in the fiery furnace. See, a lot of times we pray, God, God, don't let this, don't let this happen, don't let this happen. God, I can't handle it. I'm not strong enough. And God says, no, you get in the fire because I'm going to refine you as gold. It's a time of testing, and you're going to come out as pure gold. I gave this to Larry the other day because Larry is an esteemed scholar from the University of Richmond, master's in business. I told Larry, I said, Larry, I want to give you a math test, and I want to give you the math test now. How many went into the fire? How many did old Nebuchadnezzar see? Yeah, because look at verse 25. I'll show it on the screen. Verse 25, he answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Now, let me, let's follow our math equation up. I got the accountants sitting front row. Boy, I got accountants everywhere on the front row. Three went in. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar sees four. And how many came out without even smelling like smoke? How many are still left in the fire? Oh, not not very confident in our answer, are we? Well, that's a trick question. Look at verse 23. And I don't know if you've ever seen this, because I had never really paid attention to this. But in verse 23, And these men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound in the midst of the burning fiery furnace. I'm going to assert something. And you can take it or like, leave it, take it or leave it. I don't believe that they were pushed to their knees. I believe that when they were thrown in the fiery furnace, Jesus was already there. I believe the one who who Nebuchadnezzar, he said he saw the fourth and he was like the Son of God. I believe that when they went into the fire, that all they could do was drop to their knees in reverence of Almighty God in the fire. And guess what? Then they had a good, after they worshipped him, I believe they had a good old little shh, shh. I know we're Baptists and nobody here knows how to dance. But I believe they did oh heavenly, heavenly jig in the fire. And I believe when Nebuchadnezzar looked in there and he saw him dancing around and doing all kind of stuff, he said, what is that? The fourth is like to the Son of God. Hold on, Nebuchadnezzar. How do you know what the Son of God looks like? Oh, my friends. Verse 23, when they fell down, I believe with all my heart, I believe that when they got in there that they saw Jesus. And they said that their conviction and their character and their courage and their consecration was worth it. When they looked into the fire and old Nebuchadnezzar turned up the heat, Jesus like, what's up? Is that all you got? Is that all you got? Because I'm in control. I control the fire. I control the wind. I control the waves. I control it all. Hallelujah Hallelujah is right. (laughs) You see, our Lord never promises to keep us out of the fiery furnaces of life. He never promises that. But He does promise to never leave us or forsake us. He does promise to be a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He does promise to be the shepherd of our souls. He does promise to walk with us through the valleys of the life and even in the shadow of the valley of death. Oh, He does promise these things.
And these three young men believed and trusted God's faithfulness and His promises. And God used their faith, as you know from the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say, God used their faith to change the heart of a king. Isn't that what Scripture says? That God holds the heart of a king as the rivers of water flow and He turns it whithersoever He will. Folks, remember this if you don't get anything else today. God is in charge. And I'm getting worked up. In verse 28 and 29, and we close it out, Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel. Oh, he was his angel, all right. <laughs> and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve or worship any god except their own god, capital G. Verse 29, Therefore I make a new decree. I got a new decree. See, before they said, when you hear the music, you're going to command and you're going to bow down and you're going to worship this golden image. I bet they spent a lot of money on that golden image. But here, immediately, right away, Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm going to make a new decree. He says, and my new decree is that every people, nation, and language which speak. What? All they have to do is say something? He says, if they speak anything amiss, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut into pieces, i.e., they will be sentenced by death. And their houses shall be made a dunghill because there is, you ready? There is no other God that can deliver after this sort. And verse 30 tells us that he promotes them. It says he promotes Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. My friends, it was because three Hebrew boys responded with conviction, character, courage, and consecration that God did some amazing things in a season of intolerance. You want to respond to intolerance? I want to respond to intolerance? Here it is. Here's the blueprint. We're trying to come up with our own plan. Just live what God's Word says to do. And we will respond well to intolerance. By the way, here's a food for thought verse. If you guys will throw up the Proverbs 16, 7. What do you think about that verse? When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. And this is exactly what God did for these three Hebrew boys. When the decree went out to bow down and worship the image, they didn't have to wonder what they were going to do. They already had made up their mind. My question to you, as the decrees of our culture are going out today, what will your response be? What will your response be when that golden image is set up and you're commanded to bow down in the plain of Dura. What, what will your response be when it comes to civil laws that will inevitably go against what the Word of God and what God have to say? What will your response be? We must stand for God and the things of God. If you're here today, I ask you also, and you've never trusted Christ, what will your response be? This is just one story about the greatness of God. God did. He so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. What is your response to that wonderful, wonderful love of Jesus Christ? 
If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I pray that you'll do it today. If you're watching online, I pray that you'll trust Christ today. Ask Him to come into your heart. Ask Him to forgive you and to begin a new, to develop a new relationship with God. If you're here today and you're a believer, what is your response? Will you stand with God? Or will you bow beneath the weight of public opinion? I pray that you'll stand. I pray that we'll stand together. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your word which exhorts us and admonishes us to live a life that brings you honor and glory. God, I pray that you'll be with us in the coming days. God, that as we seek your face, you might be honored by the lives that we lead. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody that doesn't know Christ as their Savior, that they would call out upon the name of the Lord for the forgiveness of sin, that they might receive salvation today. Lord, I pray for our missionaries all around the world that you might keep them strong and healthy during this season of unrest. God, I pray for Brian and Sandy this morning as they have their test tomorrow and as they make their way back to Nicaragua. God, that you would be with them, strengthen them, give them wisdom, give them safety, keep them protected in this season as they go and be able to have that sweet fellowship with the people there as they go back to lead the ministries, as they go back to encourage them and to exhort them to do more as they see the day approaching. Lord, I pray for souls to be saved in Nicaragua. I pray for souls to be saved here in Northern Virginia and all around the world. God, help us never to give in. Help us to keep on fighting the good fight of faith. God, help us to be men and women of conviction and character and courage and consecration. Lord, we'll be careful to give you the praise and the glory for it all. In Jesus' precious name we do pray and for his sake. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.